Good morning. So this is different, eh? Am I on? Now I am. There you go. It's a little different being in here. One thing, it's funny how when you change up location, you notice things. Like one thing, before the service I was standing in here, I realized in the sanctuary, our usual place where we gather for worship, you're kind of like a half circle around the person at the front, the worship team. And so I think it's actually a little more conducive to community. This way you're all staring at me. And it's making me nervous, I confess. Anyone recognize this? Yeah. So, so I don't know if I can have this made into some kind of vestment, but uh, um, this, is, this is the carpet. This is the carpet we have since torn up. I think it's been torn up. It's torn up? Okay. Um, it wasn't when I tore this up, but it has been over the course of this week. So we're going to keep this and introduce this periodically just to remind us of how grateful we are uh, for what's going on in the sanctuary. You heard from Allison at the beginning, but we are bearing with one another through this time of transition. So today we're continuing in our series in Genesis, and we're going to talk particularly today about Sabbath. Do you know this word Sabbath? What do you associate with that word? Let's, let's do a little bit of free-flowing word association. I say Sabbath, and you say what? Rest. A lot of you said something. <laughs> I, I heard rest. Maybe being in a gym, you're like more likely to participate. Jump up and score a basket. Okay, rest. What else do you associate with Sabbath? Holy. Sunday, okay, so a particular day of the week. Did someone say Wednesday? Oh, Sunday, okay. It's like, I haven't heard that one, Wednesday. But we will talk about that because Sabbath is not set in stone for us as Christians. Anything else? Restorative, refresh, all those re-words, right? Restorative, refresh. Pardon? Command. Okay. Worship. Gift. Good. Praise. So a lot of positive associations with Sabbath. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. So we get our English word Sabbath from a Hebrew word, which is Shabbat, which literally means to stop, to cease, to desist. One dictionary definition of Sabbath is that it's a day of religious observance and abstinence from work kept by Jews from Friday evening to Saturday evening, and by most Christians on Sunday. So we know that we can't work all the time. We know that we need to rest. Sabbath is in the Bible, but it's also common sense, I think. If we don't rest, we're not going to be able to function. 
But Sabbath isn't just utilitarian. It's not a means of performing better, of being efficient. Sabbath starts, first of all, with God. It's, it seems to be part of God's nature. We see it at creation, and we're going to read that shortly. And it also starts in our lives as we respond to God's invitation. Sabbath can help us to be more deeply rooted in God, to ground our identity in Christ, and so to flourish in the creativity of the Holy Spirit. So Sabbath is meant for our health, for our well-being. And we're going to see that in Genesis, but let's pray before we open our Bibles. Dear God, we pray that as we gather today that you would draw us into your rest. We pray that we would hear in the words of Scripture and in our reflections on the passages that we're going to read together this morning, your love for us, that you have created us in your image, and that what you desire for us is the very best. Lord, may we accept your guidance, your instruction, your word, your Torah, your teaching this morning as something good, as something to be welcomed, as something sweet like honey. Holy Spirit, would you come and open our hearts and our minds. Amen. So we're going to read just four verses in Genesis the last verse of the first chapter and the first three verses of chapter two. And I'm going to read it off the screen because I didn't print it out. This feels kind of, kind of fun, actually. <laughs> you know, in the synagogue, in, in Jewish worship, the reading of the Torah is right at the center of the community and right at the center of the service. It is the most important part of the worship service. So maybe I'll do this every Sunday. Right. <laughs> the word from the sound booth is always a practical word, isn't it? Yeah. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And that word rested is the word Shabbat, is derived from Shabbat. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. So I've said a couple of times already this month that I love September. I love all that goes on in September, the things that start up, I love seeing many of you for the first time in quite a while after the summer. All those things I enjoy, but September for most of us, for some of us, is pretty busy. Anyone relate to that feeling of being busy in the last couple of weeks? Can you relate to that? And what we listed here may not converge with our experience of September so far. A number of years ago, I realized that it was somewhat dysfunctional 
for me to use a phrase I've been using quite freely. I, I was describing myself as crazy busy. Have you ever, have you ever used that before? That you ever told someone you're crazy busy? So I tried not to do that, and I failed miserably. Partly because we, we want people to know when we do have seasons where we're busy, right? That you want to communicate that to someone. But also, I think there's something in us that needs to be busy. Maybe more for people with certain personality types than others. But busyness, and when we say that we're busy, maybe we say we're crazy busy even, it's partly a complaint, but it's also partly a boast. Does it impress anyone when we say that? What do you think? Tim Kreider points out that It isn't generally people pulling back-to-back shifts in the ICU or people who are commuting by bus to three minimum wage jobs who tell you how busy they are. What those people are is not busy, but tired, exhausted. It's almost always people whose lamented busyness is purely self-imposed. Work and obligations they've taken on voluntarily. Classes and activities they've encouraged their kids to participate in. They're busy because of their own ambition or drive or anxiety, because they're addicted to busyness and dread what they might have to face in its absence. Is that true? There's there's some truth in that, I think. It may seem extreme to us. I, I love the way he ends that paragraph when he talks about what we might have to face in the absence of busyness. Because even that word face suggests relationship, right? I'm face to face with you now. In a way, we're in relationship. When I make eye contact with you, that's something irreplaceable. And yet, we are so busy that we struggle to be face to face with each other. And most of all, we struggle in our relationship with God. Have we chosen to be busy due to a kind of disorder in our lives? The Bible says that we're restless because we have turned away from God. Does anyone know the people in this next picture? That didn't come through too well, did it? But you get the uh, orange leather pants, at least, that that you can see. Uh, We've talked about... um, A couple of weeks ago, anyway, Andrew Isaac made a reference to how, as a church, we started in this gym. So 39 years ago, in September of 1980, we began to worship as, we weren't called Courtright Church at that time. We were called uh, South Guelph Presbyterian Church, I think. And then later we became Courtright. Um, But Andrew suggested that maybe we should have an 80s theme while we're in the gym, because we started here in 1980. So, so this is Loverboy, and, and they're a group of popular theologians um, <laughs> who have reflected deeply on Sabbath. And, and I don't know how far we'll go with the 80s theme. There's going to be at least one reference to a song from 1980 or 1981 in every sermon while we're here in the gym. Isn't that exciting for you? Yeah, yeah. 
on the, the, the whole year when it was the 500th anniversary of uh, the Reformation, the start of the Reformation, I quoted uh, from a reformer, Martin Luther or John Calvin. But I can see you're much more excited to hear that there will be, <laughs> there will be 80s songs for the next 12 Sundays. Uh, so Loverboy, in their theological work on Sabbath, um, wrote a song entitled Everybody's Working for the Weekend. And they suggested that, that all of our work is meant to be about the coming opportunity we have to party, the chance we have for pleasure and to get away from work. So the whole point of the work we're doing is to get away from that work. It's not particularly to enjoy that work or to find meaning in that work. Is that true that we have trouble resting in the present? So much so that we long for the weekend or we're living for our next vacation? I think maybe it is. I think we're tempted to think that way. The root of the word vacation itself is to vacate. It means to leave, to evacuate, to abandon. But what we need most of all in our life, what I need in my life, is to be more at peace where I am, where God has put me, not in the place I want to escape to. And that comes in all kinds of forms, right? It could be, it could be the start of a new NHL season. How much of that is not resting? How much of that is escaping? Men, you know how we watch sports. Now, there's good in that, but also we have to be careful. I won't venture to say what women do to escape, but... Maybe that's something for the talkback session after the service. Eugene Peterson asks a great question in his book, Traveling Light, on Galatians. He says, who are we? And then he answers, he says, we are Christians. That is who we are. We encourage one another in the strenuous life that nurtures and protects a healthy freedom and faith so that we are not deceived by the surface appearance of sanity in the madhouse of the world. And I love that quote. Um, I came across that about 20 years ago, and I'm always going back to it. Because the world is a madhouse, isn't it? All you have to do is drive to Toronto to get a taste of that. We're crazy busy, we're at odds with each other, and we have to find a way to rest. And I think Sabbath recognizing that Sabbath is part of God's character and also the practice of Sabbath is a part of that strenuous life that Eugene Peterson talks about, the life that we live together in community as God's church and that it can lead us back to freedom. Jews greet each other on on the Sabbath by saying Shabbat Shalom. And, And one translation of that is happy Sabbath or have a good Sabbath, but a literal translation of Shabbat Shalom is Sabbath peace to you. Shalom being the Hebrew word for peace. And that, I think, is God's invitation to us to get in sync with his rhythm, which leads to peace. It leads to wholeness. It leads to harmony, as we've seen described in Genesis 1. The idea and practice of Sabbath come from God at creation. At the end of Genesis 1, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. 
By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So for six days, God works at creating everything in the universe. I mean, think about that. God works. Isn't that incredible? I mean, God was God. Why, why is God described as working there? We saw that God spoke everything into existence. You could lie on a couch and speak things into existence. God said, let there be light, and there was light. But here, God's not lying on a couch, as most gods would have in ancient cosmologies, ancient worldviews. God is described as laboring, as working, as getting his hands dirty. And we'll see more of that next week. But God wasn't tired. God didn't need to take a break, God being God. So why does he do it? Well, he also didn't need to pace himself and to make creation happen in stages over the course of a whole week. But he gives us a natural order. He gives us a pattern for our own benefit. And his resting here seems to have more to do with the completion of creation and enjoying its goodness than recovering from the work. You can't miss the structure of Genesis 1. We've seen that over the last two weeks. There was evening and there was morning. And it was good. But the seventh day was blessed and holy and God sets that apart. Abraham Heschel, who has written on the Sabbath, um, a Jewish theologian says that God made the seventh day so he could soak in his own goodness and so that we can too. I love that. God doesn't say anything at creation about the need to obey a command to keep Sabbath. It's only later on, and that's where we're going to end up this series on Genesis, that, that God chooses Abraham and his family, chooses a people for himself, and through them establishes what we call a covenant, a covenant with the people of Israel. So when did Sabbath become a requirement? Well, that happened with Moses. After God redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt, he gives them the law, the Ten Commandments we often think of it as. He gives them the law at Mount Sinai. And what does that mean to redeem his people? Well, it means to set them free from slavery. And it happens with the Exodus. First of all, God redeems his people. He frees them from slavery, and then he gives them the law. Grace comes before truth, though we need both of them. Now, the Ten Commandments are the best-known part of the Jewish law, and we get two versions of them in the Old Testament. This is really significant for understanding Sabbath. In Exodus 20, it says the fourth command was to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. And then the second version of the Ten Commandments we have in Deuteronomy 10 list all of the commandments in Deuteronomy 5, sorry, list all of the Ten Commandments, but there's one difference, and it's the only real difference from the two lists of commandments. In this version, we hear the same thing about keeping the Sabbath day holy, but it concludes not with a reference to creation, but with a reference to slavery in Egypt and to God redeeming his people from slavery. 
So creation and redemption. Sabbath is rooted in the two great acts that God does for us in history. His once and for all creation of the world and his unfolding redemption. Jews, when they start Shabbat on Friday, when dusk comes and the sun sets, Jews begin their celebration of Shabbat and they light two candles always. The first candle is for creation and the second candle is for redemption. You heard that in Psalm 19. Allison read that as our call to worship. First of all, all heaven declares the glory of God. And so we're reminded that we, the breath in our lungs, we sing that song, right? It's your breath in our lungs. Our very lives come from God. And the whole of creation, the song of creation we talked about last Sunday, all of the universe praises God. But the second candle is God's active work of redeeming us, giving us his instruction the law of God, and then ultimately, and most of all, sending Jesus as the word made flesh. So Sabbath points ahead to Christ and the coming of his once and for all redemption. And then Jesus does something surprising with the law. Jesus fulfills the law and Sabbath changes. He wants to free us from the weight of the law. In Mark 2, Jesus and his disciples are picking grain. They're wandering around. And it seems like an innocent moment, but what they're doing is actually scandalous because it's the Sabbath day and they shouldn't be doing anything like that. And so the Pharisees come along and they're furious with Jesus. But Jesus says to them, he says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. So does that mean that we as Christians have to obey the fourth commandment if Jesus is still talking about Sabbath? Well, yes, it does in a way. But we don't need to keep Sabbath like Orthodox Jews do. Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. And so we know that we need still to listen to the law of God. And Jesus gives us, at the Sermon on the Mount and other places, his instruction. Jesus turns the religious order upside down. It's not about performance anymore. Some of you may have grown up in households where Sabbath, keeping the Lord's Day, was incredibly important and very strict. Anyone from a, from a conservative Scottish background, like I come from? There's, oh, Chloe's putting up her hand. That's, that's great. <laughs> That's my daughter, yeah. Um, what are you talking about? Are, I hope to see you after the service, because you're going to have some talk back for me, I hope. I'll talk a little bit more later about the McLeod family practice, but um, my great-grandparents came from the island of Lewis in the northwest of Scotland, the Outer Hebrides, they're called, and... Uh, Still, Sundays are very strict in Lewis. But for most of us, Sundays are relaxed. And the controversy of Sunday shopping was a long time ago now. I remember being in Jerusalem 20 years ago and taking the elevator in a building on Shabbat. There were two elevators, and one of them stopped at every floor. And it did that so that Orthodox Jews didn't have to press the buttons of the elevator 
to get to whatever floor they were going to on the Sabbath, on Shabbat. The other elevator was for secular Jews or for Gentiles like me, Goyim, we were called. And I got on that one thinking that I'd be alone because I was in a very Orthodox Jewish neighborhood. But no, all these Orthodox Jews piled into the, the secular elevator with me because I was like their beast of burden who could press the buttons on the elevator for them. Um, and they're all shouting out numbers and they, wanted, they were wanting to get to where they were going fast, but they couldn't press the buttons, which seems kind of ridiculous. But as Christians, we've been just as legalistic. In late 19th century Canada, there were many Christians who identified as Sabbatarians, they were called. They were Christians fighting for everything to be shut down on Sundays. In 1888, they formed what was called the Lord's Day Alliance to lobby for legislation that arrived in 1907. And this poster sums it up. So you couldn't do much of anything on Sunday. You couldn't hunt, you couldn't shoot, you couldn't fish, you couldn't bathe in any public place or in sight of a place of public worship or private residence. That's the very bottom one. But you can see all games, races, or other sports for money or prizes. The business of amusement or entertainment was forbidden. We have come so far, and yet, have we? I mean, clearly, this strikes us as strange and as severe. But now that we're free to shop on Sundays, and most of us don't think twice about it, maybe we should. Because God still calls us to stop and to rest and to focus on him and to do so together. In Acts 20 and 1 Corinthians 16, the early Christians met together on the first day of the week, Sunday. So for Christians, the first day is the Sabbath day. It is our Lord's day. Because on that day, Christ rose from the dead. And so we start the week on a day when we have the hope of the resurrection. And we, I think, can start to see that Sabbath is meant to be life-giving for us. A few years ago, actually more than that now, uh, we as a family were driving up to Lake Huron where we were going to spend a week at a cottage. And we were passing through Mennonite country. And, you know, we're from Toronto and we've been in Guelph for, for nine years now, but we're still amazed at some of what you see in this part of the province. And, and so we would see Amish horses and buggies and, and the kids would call it every, every time we saw one because um, it was a novelty for us. And, and as we drove through that Mennonite country around Listowel area on our way to Lake Huron, we saw these Mennonite families gathered at tables in front of one farm after another. Their kids were playing in the fields. They were eating together, spending the day together. And we saw signs that said, eggs, $2, not for sale on Sunday. I had my iPod on as I drove. This was a few years ago. I still have it, though. It's, it's very handy. Anyone still have an iPod? Anyone? One hand went up. Two, three. Let's, let's form a group, shall we? On my iPod, I was listening to an audiobook, a biography of Steve Jobs. Some of you know Steve Jobs is the founder of Apple. Some would say the world's most successful company. And Jobs had this vision beyond the personal computer for how Apple could create devices to meet all of our digital needs. Music, communication, film, entertainment. 
And as I listened to the history of the iPod on my iPod, isolated in this little technological bubble, as I drove along in a car at a high speed, all of this made possible by technology, I looked out at these Mennonite families eating together, enjoying a simple Sunday afternoon, and I wondered about God's call to practice Sabbath, to set apart time, and to be together in Christian community. Have we obeyed? It's not the technology, let me be clear. It's, it's our unwillingness to turn it off. We seem to be all too ready to settle for less than what God intended. But the Holy Spirit is always hovering over us, over our families, over our church. The Spirit wants to restore us. And so we can say Shabbat Shalom. The Spirit leads us into the peace of God. How do you rest in your life? That's maybe the question I want to leave you with this morning. More and more of us don't know how to rest. In our free time, we turn to screens often, but we don't rest, we aren't refreshed. The Amish and the Orthodox Jews are onto something, I think. Machines get in the way of our rest. As you consider how you could practice a new Sabbath in your life, I want to suggest five priorities for you. First of all, participate in Christian community. Make Sunday worship a weekly commitment. That is the basic act of Sabbath. Secondly, stop working on your Sabbath. And, and it doesn't have to be Sunday. It could be another day of the week. I, I know for, for myself, for all of us on staff here at Courtright, Sunday is not a Sabbath day for us. We work. I take Monday as my day off. But whenever your Sabbath takes place, don't work. That might mean not checking your phone, not going on a computer, not doing housework, not shopping, we, as the McLeod family, about three years ago, tried an experiment with digital Sabbath on Sundays where we had no screens. And we had mixed results, I have to tell you. And, uh, and then we let it go for a while. But we're, we're revisiting that this September. And I trust that we will be able to set aside time for what God calls us to do. The third thing I want to suggest is that you could enjoy recreation. Something as simple as going for a walk, going skating, playing a game with your friend, with your kids. Because fortunately, we've left behind those days of strict Sabbath keeping where we couldn't have fun. The fourth thing is to enjoy devotion. Read your Bible. Pray. Pursue Christian education. That could mean coming to these new equip courses we have at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. That could mean reading a Christian book that helps you sort of wrap your head around what this could look like in your life. And the fifth thing would be to serve others, to practice hospitality, to open your home for lunch for people maybe after the worship service on Sundays, to reach out to someone in need, to take that time that you've set aside to make a phone call, to give a gift, to offer a word of encouragement. Tim Keller says that the purpose of Sabbath is not simply to rejuvenate yourself in order to do more production, nor is it the pursuit of pleasure. The purpose of Sabbath is to enjoy your God, life in general, 
what you've accomplished in this world through his help and the freedom you have in the gospel, the freedom from slavery to any material object or human expectation. The Sabbath is a sign of the hope we have in the world to come. You notice that on the seventh day, there is no typical ending. Every other day in Genesis 1 was, was described as ending with, and it was morning and it was evening the second day. It was morning and it was evening the sixth day. But the seventh day doesn't end that way. It's left open-ended. And I think that's because it points to the ultimate rest, the hope that we have in Christ, the hope of resurrection. In Matthew 11, Jesus invites us to find rest in him. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Jesus invites those of us who are weary and burdened, not those of us who have it all together, who are in control. Jesus offers the last thing that we think restless and weary people would need. Not a vacation. He doesn't offer us a day at the spa. Not an extension of that deadline that you're worried about. Instead, he says, I offer you a yoke. What's a yoke? This next picture might illustrate what a yoke is. Is that something you'd want in your life, on your shoulders? Guy doesn't look very happy. But Jesus knows that the best gift he can give people who are tired is a new way to carry life, a new way of bearing responsibilities. So he offers us freedom through obedience. He gives us the hope of a promise of rest. He knows the guilt that we feel around work and rest is heavy on us. He knows how much time we've wasted. He knows our regrets about that. He knows the anxiety we have, the failures that haunt us. And yet, through all that, he says, your sins are forgiven. He gives us the grace of salvation. He forgives us completely. Because he has completed his work. And he did it for us. At the cross... Jesus says a number of things, but the one that echoes what we read at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis is when Jesus cried out, it is finished. God finished the work of creation and ushered us into the rest of enjoying his presence. Jesus says at the cross, it is finished, and he takes all of our restlessness, all of our striving, all of our discontent on himself. And he does it so that we can have real life, abundant life, eternal life. Jesus says that we are free because of who he is and what he has done for us. So Sabbath is God's gift to us. That was on our list, right? Sabbath is not something we must do. It's not another should. It's an invitation to get in line with the rhythm of God's grace. He promises that he will provide rest for our souls now and forever. And so I say to you, Shabbat Shalom. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you that you are not a God who drives us. You're not a God who demands performance. You're not a God who lays burdens on us. Because we cannot live up to your goodness, your holiness. You called the Sabbath day holy 
And it is holy because you fill it with yourself and all your goodness. As we have turned away from that holiness, as we have turned away from the face-to-face relationship that you want so badly for us to have with you, we confess to you that, that we are lost in a way. Would you lead us back into the grace, into the joy, into the peace of Jesus? And Holy Spirit, guide us as we seek to practice Sabbath. Guide us as a congregation as we seek to find the ways that we can be together in spite of all our busyness, in spite of our full lives. How we can know each other better, how we can love each other more. Would you hover over us, Holy Spirit, and do your work of renovation and transformation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't we take a few minutes, because this is a new space, and so it seems like one, one thing that would, it would be good to do this morning is to, to exchange the peace of Christ in this new space. And you can look around at the back of the room if you haven't been able to see that yet. Um, the way we do this traditionally, and Russell's going to help me demonstrate, as he often does, I do appreciate that, uh, is that we say, may the peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. That was very good. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you prefer to say Shabbat Shalom, go for it. Or if you just want to be normal and say hi and learn someone's name, that would be fine too. So take a few minutes to greet each other. Go. Go.